everyone. Welcome to PBC Online for this week. I'm Tim. I'm Ian. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Beth Anderson. And we go to the... 1045 We miss you and we love you. Hi, everyone. My name is Mustafa. I'm a new child of Christ, just converted last year. And I find my true family in PBC. And uh, I really miss my family back there. And can't jump to get back and join my family again. Hi, I'm Todd. This is Hugo. Uh, we go to the 845 service with my wife, Amanda, and Hugo's little brother, Emmett. Uh, we miss you all very much, and we look forward to seeing you all again. Hi, kids, Chest. We miss you. I can't wait until the coronavirus is over. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Smitha, and I go to the 1045 service. Uh, I'm just thankful to the Lord that we're still uh, being able to be connected online. Um, welcome back to church. Hi, everyone. I'm Karina. My name's Naomi, and I miss youth group. And this is Jaden, and he's missing Kids Church. We go to the 8.45 service, and we can't wait to come back and let's see everyone smiles again. Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Lynn. Uh, we go to the night service. We only started coming in January with our sons, Joel and Bailey. Um, so we look forward to um, coming soon, and we re- really miss um, meeting some new faces and um, help us out with your names when we see you again. Hi, I'm Kim. No, I'm Bronwyn. We attend the 845 service and uh, we're counting down the days where we can have a cuppa uh, with everyone to catch up with all the news. Hello, I'm Emma. I normally go to the 530 service and I'm really missing it, missing you all. Um, but we're so glad that you've joined us online today. Ooh, everyone give away. So good to remember that we're part of a bigger church family, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. I'm Kathy Bates. I'm one of the pastors at Parramatta Baptist. Well, we pretty much attend every service that PBC puts on, except at the moment where we're pretty much the late night service in our pyjamas. How about you? <laughs> I'm Lionel Bertelson. My wife and I, Joanne, and I attend the early service on a Sunday normally. These days, it's it's the 9am service in our Nice. I also want to introduce you to our newest member of our PBC family. This is Thomas Johnston. Congratulations, Lara and Dave. We're so pleased for you and um, and be assured of our, our prayer for you as new parents. I think through this time of lockdown, Lionel, it's so um, it's so easy to forget that we belong to part of a larger church family. What have you been doing to stay connected? I've been using whatever technology is available, phone calls, emails, um, Skype, of course, Zoom. Everybody has to Zoom these days, but my favourite would be WhatsApp. It's a good way for contacting people readily. Um, but I must, I must tell you something that happened to me probably a month ago. One morning I was saying to God, I'd really like people, somebody to contact me. And so I prayed about that and then left it. After morning tea time, the phone rang and it was a friend and we chatted for some time. Lovely to hear from him. We had a great, great call. The call eventually ended and no sooner had we finished that call than the phone rang a second time. And it was another friend ringing me up to 
see how I was going. And it was as if God was saying to me, it was two enough? <laughs> yes, he was really fulfilling what he, what I'd asked him to do. But I would like to say, we all need to be doing that. We need to be contacting others. Don't forget at this time to be in touch with folk from church. Those you know well, those you know just somewhat. Ring them up and say, hey, how are you doing through this time? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, also as restrictions ease, there's opportunity for us to gather with others as well and watch church online together. And so currently we have the opportunity to invite um, five additional guests into our home. And I think you were talking about doing that as well. And And I hope they're there. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we can also gather in groups of 10 at church as well. And so if you would like to host a group, I mean, go right ahead and invite people you know. If you would like to host either at home or at church and you're not sure who to invite, jump onto our e-news this week and um, there's a little roster there that's just called Church in the New Season and um, you can indicate your willingness to host a group there and that would be fantastic. Similarly, if you'd like to be a guest at one of those, um, you can indicate that in the e-news as well. Now, Lionel, I know we were chatting the other day and um, you're a bit of an introvert like me and um, and so you're very happy to spend time alone. Oh, yeah. But what have you missed about gathering with the wider church family? I would have to say the people. It's fine to make a phone call. It's great. And especially if you do a video call, you see their image. That's wonderful. But there's nothing like actually seeing the person in the flesh. So I'm missing people at church. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And, um, you know, one of the things that I love as well, like we, we can't gather and share stories, but still we keep hearing stories of the way that God is transforming people's lives. Yes. And so in our auditorium is our art installation of our tree. And every piece of fruit on this tree represents a life that Jesus has transformed, um, either one of, one of our PBC family or someone that we have been praying for. And these, all of these pieces of fruit represent a story from this year. And so some of these um, pieces of fruit represent a first-time commitment to Christ. Some are a, a recommitment to Jesus and others are uh, a significant point of restoration in someone's life. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? It's so and good. Kathy, remember what Jesus said, how there's great rejoicing in heaven, that the angels throw a party, even if just one person comes back to him. That's so true. And that is so worthy of us sending up a cheer from wherever you are. Let's do that right now. Yes! (laughs) Awesome. You know, if God has been doing something significant in your life or in the life of someone that you've been praying for, let us know. Um, We will keep it confidential and uh, unless you're willing to share that story with others. But it's so good to be able to celebrate what Jesus is doing together. Well, as we come to worship today, Lionel, would you be willing to to pray with us? I'd love to. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good things that you are doing in people's lives. We acknowledge that you are good and that you are unchanging. And though we live in a world that is changing, you never change. You loved us yesterday, you love us today, and you will always love us. You led and guided us in the past 
and you will continue to lead and guide us. We invite you, our Father, to continue your good work in our lives. May each of us continue to be transformed by you. May we learn increasingly to live and love like Jesus. We pray for those who don't yet know you. May they see the uncertainty of the present time and look to the one, the one secure rock and foundation for life. And we pray for churches across the world. Awaken those that slumber and fill them with a new love for you and those around them. And empower us all to reach out in love to a lost and broken world. So, Lord, refresh refresh us all today as we come together, even though we are apart. Amen. Yeah, Lord, we just want to thank you for this time of worship together. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to come and to meet with us kitchens and our living rooms, as we sit with our families and our friends. We just want to thank you, Lord, that you are here, that you're present with us. And we thank you for the sense of your love that is wrapping around us, comforting us in your embrace. thank you, Lord, for that hand that is reached out to us uh, that says, I see you, my child, and I love you. And so we just say, Lord Jesus, we love you. And we're just going to worship you now.
Lord, we just want to thank you that you want to do this journey with us. That you are inviting us to be the salt and the light in this world. And that you're saying, oh, you don't have to try. My spirit is in you. I've placed you in those places where I need you. And Lord, we just want to say yes to you. We want to say yes, Lord. I want to see your kingdom come in my workplace and in my family and in my life. Yes, Lord, I trust you. I know that you see the the hard stuff and the good stuff. And I know that you're carrying me. And so I'll rest in you, Lord.
Steve Bates, and we're continuing to look at Peter's first letter. This passage today may be difficult for some of you. Um, So before we hear it read, uh, firstly a confession and also a comment. The confession is that this passage in scripture has been used as a justification for both slavery and for treating women as inferior to men. So if, as you hear these words, the passage causes you to feel fear or anger because of your personal experience, I just want to apologize that God's word has been used in that way against you or against someone that you love. That was not what God intended. My comment is this, that I believe that all of scripture is from God. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. To rightly understand scripture, we need to understand it in the context of those who heard it for the first time. And we need to also understand it in the context and in the light of all the scripture. So Jonathan and Jody are going to read it to us. Thanks. Well, good morning. Good evening, everyone. We're reading 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 11 to chapter 3, verse 9. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing so you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. The structure of this passage that was just read is, is easy enough to see. Peter begins the passage by reminding them of what he has previously said about who they are. He says, you are foreigners and exiles. And this was literally true for the majority of believers in the Roman Empire. They were not Roman citizens. But Peter says, you are citizens of heaven. You have this unmistakable hope because you are chosen by God and you have an inheritance in heaven. And then he also says, you are set apart. You are a holy nation, a holy priesthood. That's what holy means, to be set apart for God and therefore live with an unmistakable goodness. He then gives a summary of what he's about to encourage them to do. Uh, He says, live such good lives that you will attract unbelievers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will silence your accusers, and in the process of it all, you will give glory to God. And then what Peter does after this introduction, he then makes it very practical, and he makes a series of commands to live this out in three sets of key relationships. The first is the relationship between all Christians at that time and their relationship with the Roman Empire, and particularly with the emperor. The second set of relationships is between Christian slaves and their masters. And the third set of relationships is between Christian wives and their husband. Now, in all three sets of relationships, there is a common factor of a lack of equality. One person, one party in this relationship was very vulnerable. But there's another common factor as well, and that in each each set of relationships, Peter calls for submission and respect. And I want to come back to those three key sets of relationships in a minute. At the end of that practical section about how to live that out in those relationships, Peter gives a general summary applying to all who were listening to this letter. 
And he says, be known for being like-minded, for being sympathetic and loving, compassionate and humble. Be known as people who do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with a blessing. And his point is very simple, that by living in this way, it honours God. So I want to come back to the three key relationships and speak about them in the context of them as well. So the first relationship he refers to are the Christians in the Roman Empire and their relationship with the emperor in particular. And Peter says, submit to human authority and submit to the emperor as the supreme authority and also to his governors. Now, Peter writes this passage at a time of increasing hostility towards Christians. Uh, Most Christians, as non-citizens of the Roman Empire, had no rights. They had no influence, they had no voice, and they had no vote. They could not defend themselves, and there was no one who would defend them. And as the church grew, it it attracted unwanted attention and hostility from the Roman Empire, and particularly from an emperor whose name was Nero. You may have heard of him. So when Peter talks about honouring the emperor, he's actually talking about Nero. And in this context of increasing persecution, Peter says to the Christians, he says, do what is right, do what is good. Silence the accusations of those who would call you an enemy of the empire. Uh, Silence the accusers. And then he says, live as free people, but do not misuse your freedom for evil. Live as free people, but do not misuse that freedom. He says, you are free, but remember that you are God's slaves. Now, that may sound a little confusing. We are free, but we are also God's slaves. Well, Martin Luther unpacks it this way. He says, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to no one. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Still may sound a bit confusing. But the point is, you may have no rights, uh, Peter is saying to the Christians, you may have no rights in the Roman Empire, but remember who you are. You are chosen by God. You are citizens of heaven. You are free. So live free. And what does that look like? To respect all, to love one another, to fear God and to honour the Emperor Nero. So let's talk about the second set of relationships, this time between slaves and their masters, and obviously the vulnerable party in this relationship are the slaves. Now, Peter says something very similar. He says, submit to your masters regardless of whether they are kind or harsh. Now, in Peter's day, slaves made up about one third of the population of the major cities in the Roman Empire. And they did all kinds of works. They were not only laborers, but they were accountants. They were doctors. They were teachers. They were writers. They were even Navy captains. And slavery was not necessarily a permanent condition. Uh, Many people chose to become a slave for job security. And if they did well, it would give them the opportunity to not only buy their freedom, but also to buy citizenship in the Roman Empire. It was worth a great deal. But the reality is that many slaves remained vulnerable and were very vulnerable. They were treated harshly and they were treated unfairly. And it's to them, Peter says, submit. Do what is right. Even when you are treated badly, continue to do what is right and continue to do what is good because God sees your injustice and God will commend you for your faithfulness in doing what is right. And Peter goes on uh, to talk about Jesus Christ and he says to the slaves, in this you are in good company because your Lord and your Saviour Jesus Christ, he himself suffered injustice. 
He didn't retaliate, but he did what was right. He did what he knew that God had called him to do. And he knew that God was with him. And so let's move to the third set of relationships, this time between wives and their husbands. And the vulnerable party in this relationship, again, is the wife. And Peter says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, it possibly and hopefully strikes you as strange that Peter likens the relationship between a slave and his master as the same as the relationship between a wife and her husband. It seems strange to us, and it should seem strange to us, but like slaves, at the time this letter was written, the majority of the women Peter was speaking to had no voice and they had no rights. They would have received no education. They would be given no choice as to who they would marry. They would be given no rights to own property, and they would be given no rights of inheritance. And it's to these Christian women that Peter says, submit and do what is good such that your actions will draw an unbelieving husband to Jesus Christ. Do what is good, he says, and allow your husband to see not just your physical beauty, but an inner beauty that does not fade with age, a beauty that witnesses to your faith. And again, Peter gives this promise, he says to the, to the wives, know that God sees your faithfulness, know that God sees your goodness, and he will commend you for it. But then for the first time, Peter speaks not just to the vulnerable person in the relationship, but also to the person in power when he addresses the husbands. And he says to the husbands, be considerate. Treat your wife with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you. Now, we may notice the weaker, the weaker partner, uh, but we need to understand that Peter is not trying to insult or diminish the women in any way. He's actually recognising that the wife does have a weaker position, a weaker social position in that relationship. She has a lack of rights. She has no voice. She has no self-determination. But what Peter does in addressing the husband is he reminds the husband of two things. Firstly, that his wife is his partner. She is a partner with him in this marriage. She is not something simply to own. She is his partner. And Peter also reminds them that she, even though she may not inherit property, she inherits the same spiritual inheritance as he does. Peter says to the husband, respect your wife. She is not your inferior. Now, this passage has some really significant implications for how we live. I want to make some general points, but then I want to come back to some specific things around those three sets of relationships. But my first general point is this, that Peter's intention in this passage, even though at times it may grate against us, is just incredibly clear. As a people with an unmistakable hope, we, who are called to live with an unmistakable holiness, we are to live that out in our everyday relationships in life. The way we relate to others should be characterized by respect and by submission, by love, humility, compassion. And these glorify God. And when we live like this, it silences those who would accuse us of doing wrong. Now, Peter is not telling us and telling the first century Christians here to keep their heads down. He's actually telling them and telling us to live differently. And in our context, to live differently means instead of seeking self-fulfillment, 
we are to deny ourselves. Instead of seeking to self-promote, we should choose to build others up. And instead of self-indulging, we are to be self-giving. And see, and this will be unmistakable. This is a beautiful way to live. Countercultural to the culture that we are in is a beautiful and attractive way to live. It would be unmistakable. The second general point I want to make is that Peter points us to the role model for this, and that is Jesus himself. At Parramatta Baptist, we have a saying that a disciple is someone who is learning to live and to love like Jesus. And what Peter teaches in this passage is what Jesus taught and what Jesus lived. Uh, Jesus taught that his disciples would be known by their love for one another. Uh, Jesus taught that they would be unmistakable by the way in which they loved not only people who loved them, but even loved their enemies. It's not just what Jesus taught, it's what Jesus did. Jesus showed compassion to all. And when he was falsely accused, when he was suffering unjustly, He did not retaliate, but he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Peter reminds us that life is not always fair. That when we suffer from doing right, that's not fair. But God sees it. And when we continue to do good, when we suffer for doing good and continue to do good, God sees and God gives his commendation to us. And my third general point just really flows on from that. Um, Peter makes the point that suffering for doing good is never wasted. It's never pleasant, but it's never wasted because when we suffer for doing good and continue to do good, it witnesses to the reality of our faith. When we continue to do what is good and right, it silences the accusations of our opponents. And in doing so, it gives God glory. And God sees what is happening. And God sees your faith. Paul in Romans chapter 5 talks about suffering. And he says, suffering produces perseverance. And that perseverance produces within us character. And that character in time produces hope. I want to just talk about some specific thoughts and questions that come out of the, the three specific relationships that Peter speaks about. And just apply them to our context How do we do this? How do we live this out? And the first question I want to ask um, is how do we honour God in our relationships with those in authority over us? Now, in Australia, we are fortunate and we are blessed. We complain a bit about our politicians and our leaders and our bosses, those in authority over us. But on the whole, we are extraordinarily fortunate. We are allowed to vote. We have free and fair elections. We have a lot of freedoms. And one of the freedoms we have is to criticise and to disagree with our political leaders, with our bosses, be that with whoever, with our pastors. We have the freedom to criticise or disagree with our leaders. But in Australia, I think that many of us use that freedom badly. My observation is that we have developed a culture of ridicule, a culture of insult, and a culture that disrespects uh, those who we disagree with. So we can't just disagree with their ideas, we have to bring them down, put them down. Uh, We have political leaders who perfect the cutting put down on their opponents. We have talk show hosts and we have shock jocks who seem to delight and revel in their ability uh, to make comments that are put downs, but also just plain bigotry. It really is. We honour God when we refuse to buy into that type of culture. 
We honor God when instead we choose to honor those with authority over us, when we choose to respect them and when we choose to pray for them. Whether that's our politicians, whether that's our bosses at work, and especially the ones we struggle the most with. That's where the challenge is to actually show honor and respect and to pray for them. We also honour God when we remember that our primary allegiance is actually not to our authorities or to, uh, or to our bosses or to anything else. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. We don't have a photo of the Queen in our church. Our primary allegiance is not to the Queen. We don't have a picture of Scott Morrison in, in our church. Our primary allegiance is not to Scott Morrison. Our primary allegiance is not to the Australian flag. Above all of this, our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And Peter knew this and the early church knew this. What this means is at times we will not submit to authorities. We see this in Acts chapter 4, and this is Peter himself, the same Peter who says submit to authorities. Peter has been out talking about Jesus. The authorities tell him, stop talking about Jesus. Be quiet. And Peter says, I will not. I cannot. And he continues to speak of Jesus. The reality is the early church could have escaped perhaps most of the persecution they experienced if they simply crawled into a hole and shut up. But they did not. When the Nazis seized power in Germany in 1933, a young man, he was 27 at the time, called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a public piece and he called upon the German church to stand up for and to watch out for the interests of the Jewish people, who he said were being threatened by what was a tyrannical regime which had just come into power. What did most churches do? Well, most Roman Catholic and Protestant church leaders enthusiastically supported Hitler. One prominent German pastor wrote this. He said, Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. We have only one task to be German. Bonhoeffer was part of a minority who formed the German Confessing Church, and they called it the Confessing Church because their confession was that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, not Hitler. In 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis. You see, we honour God not only when we submit to our authorities, but when we remember that our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ and that at times we will not submit to the authority of them. Now, this is not an historical issue from 75 years ago. This is a live issue. Still today, Christians are forbidden to meet. Nothing to do with COVID-19. They are just simply forbidden to meet together, but they still do. There are places in the world today where Christians are forbidden to speak of Jesus Christ. They still do. Why do they do these things? They do it because their primary allegiance is not the authorities over them. Their primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ and his gospel. In two weeks' time, Dan McPhee from Open Doors will come and speak more of this as we continue to work through 1 Peter. So there's just some thoughts about how we honour God in our relationship with those in authority over us. The second question, how do we honour God when it comes to the issue of slavery? Well, I believe we honour God when we engage in efforts to oppose it because it continues, it continues to be a scourge in our world and to work for freedom for those who are enslaved. 
But going beyond that, I believe that we honor God when we refuse to adopt the underlying attitudes that gave rise to the cruelest forms of slavery. And that is the cruelest of all attitudes is that some people, by virtue of their ethnicity or their social standing, are less than human. And this is such a dangerous attitude that some people are less than human. It has led to slavery. It has led to genocides. It has led to the dispossession of indigenous people from their land. And this happens because we buy the lie that some people are less than human. You know, Genesis makes it so clear that all humans, all men and women are made in the image of God. And the New Testament makes it so clear too that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, this distinction between race. There is neither slave nor free, this distinction in social class. There is neither male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We honour God when we honour all people, regardless of who they are. And my third question really is around this one. How do we honour God when it comes to being husbands and wives? How do we honour God when it comes uh, in our relationship, women and men? And again, I think we're fortunate in many ways in Australia uh, that women and men are on the whole treated equally. Uh, It has not always been the case. We need to understand that. We honour God today when we afford our girls, when we afford our women equal choices and equal opportunities in every aspect of life, whether that's education, whether that's in career, in the choices that they get to make, where we make no distinction between the choices and opportunities we offer between men and women. But again, going a little deeper, we honour God when we refuse to adopt some of the lingering underlying narratives that have historically treated women as being inferior to men. Uh, Some of these lingering narratives are women are too emotional to make good leaders. Really? Women are unable to make rational decisions. Have you watched the news lately? You see, in Christian circles, there are still those who argue that God's natural order, the way that God has set it up, is that men lead and women follow because women are weaker spiritually and emotionally. They have the, they're not able to lead well. They're not able to make decisions for themselves. This continues to just niggle away in some aspects of our society. And we honour God when we refuse again to buy into that. We need to understand that such attitudes are a mangling of Scripture. They do not honour the Scriptures in any way. They are a complete uh, use of the Scripture for, for power purposes and nothing else. We need to understand that. And 1 Peter certainly does not teach that. Let me go on. I think we honour God when we refuse to judge a woman's worth by her physical beauty. Now, no Australian Prime Minister that I can think of has had their choice of clothes commented on, except one. Who was it? Julia Gillard, of course, because she's a woman. Why do we obsess on the, the value of a woman as being part of her physical beauty? And when it comes to marriages, we honour God in our marriages when our marriages are defined more by love and by mutual mutual submission than by a demand that a wife submit to her husband. Submission that is not given freely in response to love and in the context of a loving marriage is not submission at all. It is oppression. And today is the 26th of May, 2020. And I just want to say also that we honour God when we insist that 21 women 
murdered by their husbands or by their partners in the first 21 weeks of this year is not okay. It is not okay. We honour God when we confront domestic and family violence in all its forms and when we assist those who are vulnerable to escape it. You see, as Christians, we have the opportunity to, and we have the calling upon our lives to live in such relationships that are so unmistakably beautiful within our families, within our work colleagues, within our neighbourhoods. And when we live like this, it stands out in our culture. It stands out in our world. You see, this is what Peter calls the first church to, to live in such a way that is unmistakable, unmistakable in its beauty and its attractiveness in the way in which they treat others. And it's what God calls us to do as we seek to live and to love like Jesus. And when we love like this and when we live like this, when we treat people like this, our lives will stand out for all the right reasons. Our lives will be unmistakable for all the right reasons. Just allow me to pray. Father, uh, we confess that at times we have lived this poorly. Our words and our actions and our attitudes have been dishonouring to you and dishonouring to your creation. But Father, we resolve, and by the help of your Holy Spirit, we want to be people who live with unmistakably beautiful relationships, relationships that are marked indeed by love and compassion, humility, gentleness and respect. Lord, this honours not only them, but it honours you. Father, may our lives give witness to the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name.
Thanks, Steve. It's just been so helpful looking through 1 Peter and just how practical these messages are for our lives. You know, really to get the most of each message um, during the week, we really want to encourage you to jump on board with our um, daily devotionals. You can access those just through the bottom of this video. Just click on there or also through our church website. And if you have only recently uh, joined us with these online services, we'd love to hear from you. So there are contact details on the bottom of the screen now. And thank you to everyone who continues to partner with us financially in the work of the gospel through PBC. We give God thanks for his generous provision through you. If you would like to know how you can give, details for that are just underneath this video or um, you can find those through our website as well. And God bless you and have a great week.